0: at 617 3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, welcome to Life Matters. My name is Brendan O'Connell. And today we're going to look at the many myths uh, of uh, Miphiprex, um, addressing the many myths that the media is repo- repeating about the Federal the, uh, Food and Drug Administration's approval uh, of uh, now uh, uh, also known as Mifeprex. And we have with us today Laura Echevarria, who's a communications director at the National Right to Life, whom I saw out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania uh, recently at the National Convention. And uh, she's going to explain to us some of these myths that are are being foisted on the public that just are not true. So welcome, Laura Echevarria.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Laura, let's uh, start with the first one there, the first myth. Maybe the first myth uh, talks about uh, mifepristone is a kind of ordinary drug the FDA considers every day to improve Americans' health. Is that a myth?
1: It is a myth. Um, The FDA is tasked with uh, approving drugs uh, that are going to help people, cure disease, save lives, uh, that sort of thing. And this drug, mifepristone, uh, uh, it was developed to take uh, innocent human life. And so it was the original intent was to take life. Um, and today the drug really only has two approved uses. Uh, one is as an abortifacient. It causes the death of an upborn child. And then a second drug is used to um, cause the baby's body to leave the mother's uh, body. And then the other use is for a condition, um, Cushing's disease. And so those are the only two approved uses, but it was originally developed as an abortifacient. That was the intent.
0: I see. And um, now the FDA, uh, they're supposed, are they experts at drug evaluation or applied the same rigorous assessment standards to Mifepristone that they would uh, do for all other drugs?
1: Well, mifepristone was approved under, at the time, what the FDA called subpart H. And it was actually an approval process that was developed to approve life-saving drugs, um, especially in light of the, uh, at the time, I think that it was uh, developed specifically for HIV drugs, um, but it was developed for drugs that had to be... What they referred to as fast-tracked, um, it, uh, cut down on the amount of time it took to approve drugs because drugs generally go through a rigorous testing process, and the FDA will require additional information. It can take years to approve a drug. Uh, subpart H was developed to speed that process up. Uh, for drugs that were considered life-saving. Obviously, Mifepristone, when it was approved, it was approved only as an abortifacient and certainly did not uh, meet the qualifications for the use of subpart H as a life-saving drug. Uh, Its intent or the intent behind uh, the passage of the drug or the approval of the drug was as an abortifacient, something that takes the life of an unborn child.
0: And how about... um, uh Mifepristone or Mifeprex uh, has an excellent safety record. How is that a myth?
1: Oh, oh, that's definitely a myth. Um, We know of at least 28 women who have died as a result of taking the drug. Um, They've died of things related to the abortion in some way. Um, Many of them ended up with an infection uh, that uh, usually is not common uh, with women who are pregnant. It can be an infection that women can get, uh, but it's usually because a bacteria has been introduced into the body uh, and a woman can get an infection and it can cause septic shock. And so we know 28 women who have died as a result of taking the drug and uh, related to the use of the drug. And so um, we know that. And then on top of that, out of all the women who take the drug, about 5%, and that's a conservative number, are going to end up in the emergency room uh, because they're going to have excessive bleeding or extreme pain or something along those lines. And of those women, some will actually need blood transfusions. Uh, There was a Canadian study uh, that showed that about 10% of women ended ended up visiting the emergency room as a result of taking the drug. So we know that the opportunity for women to find themselves in serious danger uh, or life-threatening danger um, can uh, be very high, especially for, if you're talking about a woman who's healthy, with a healthy pregnancy, and then she takes a drug that can put her in the emergency room, it, it's unacceptable. It's a risk um, that many women will end up uh, having if they take the drug, and for a certain percentage of those women, they'll end up in the emergency room.
0: Now, i um the I have myth four here, the approval and modifications to the abortion pill protocol were supported by the best and most objective scientific studies. Is that true?
1: No. Um, what happened was there are pro-abortion groups and uh, sympathizers uh, in the abortion industry and people who are related to the abortion industry who are in education. Uh, most, one of the most well-known schools for really pushing the abortion agenda and for doing studies uh, related to abortion is the University of California, San Francisco. And UCSF does a lot of these studies, uh, and many of the researchers and doctors who are at UCSF in their reproductive medicine division, uh, some of them sit on the boards of pro-abortion groups. And so they have a vested interest in showing that abortion is, quote, safe. Um, and so from many of these studies that we're talking about, many of them have been done by these abortion apologists, by these researchers who have a vested interest in the outcome. And what we have seen repeatedly is it's, um, it's a cycle where they will put forward a study that they argue shows that the drug is safe or the protocol can be changed safely. And then they push those parameters. And, of course, these studies are published in leading medical journals. And then the FDA is pushed to change the protocols. This happened back in 2016, where over the course of many years, Planned Parenthood and abortion facilities that were using the drugs and uh, prescribing these drugs, Uh, started prescribing them outside of the FDA protocols. And the FDA um, allowed this as part of a, quote, study. And so that allowed them to get around the protocols the FDA put in place, uh, put it under the auspices of a study.
0: 49 days was the original use for lifepricks. In 2016, uh, there was four or five categories that Uh, Mm -hmm. that the FDA has become more lenient about. Uh, Yes. Can you speak to that?
1: Uh, Yes. Um, It was 49 days, seven weeks of pregnancy, and then they expanded that to 10 weeks of pregnancy. Now, what your viewers have to understand is that the farther along a woman gets into the pregnancy, um, the less, and I hate using this word, but the less effective the drug is, and so she's more likely, the closer she gets to 10 weeks, more likely to require a surgical abortion or be recommended for a surgical abortion because the drug may take the life of the child, but her body may retain the child and she may not actually, uh, the baby may not actually um, expel from her body like, it, like the baby would in a miscarriage. And keeping in mind, this is not uh, a miscarriage. This is an induced abortion. And so women may find themselves um, needing to visit a doctor because their body did not complete the abortion uh, because they were farther along in the pregnancy. We've also seen some studies that have come out. Now, the FDA has not changed the protocol, but we have seen the abortion industry push the use of the drug far beyond the parameters even that the FDA has um, allowed for now. We have seen um, some information coming from some states that women are taking the drugs at 19 weeks. Um, And so the farther along she is in her pregnancy, the less likely the drug is going to work. And so um, these were changes that the FDA made. The FDA also has allowed others besides a physician, you know, someone with a medical license, to prescribe the drugs. And now we are finding uh, that there is a push by the Biden administration to allow the drugs uh, to be mailed uh, across state lines, mailed into other states. And there are, um, of course, this administration and the FDA um, has signed off on pharmacies being able to mail the drugs across the country. So these are pushes that the abortion industry has made uh, to make the drug more widespread and more readily available. Um, We know that 50% of women uh, who have abortions, approximately 50% are taking the drug uh, to have an abortion. And so as these numbers increase, uh, we'll see greater numbers of women ending up in the emergency room.
0: I see, and the, uh I know there's been some studies done by the pro-life side that uh, says that it's actually more dangerous than a surgical abortion.
1: Uh, Yes, they've gone through, um, you can do uh, what's referred to as a meta-analysis where researchers go in and they look at studies that have been done uh, by the abortion industry and by the the sympathizers of the abortion industry, and they look at the data they don't look at what the you know the arguments that the researcher makes at the end of the study. They go back and they look at the raw data, and they are, have determined um, that the drugs are actually the potential for harm is much greater. Um, many of these studies that I mentioned that are done by UCSF and other researchers, they've lost some patients um, in the course of the study, and that just means that they may look at the records of, uh, or have, you know, 3,000 women participate in this study, but they may lose 200 women. And in the course of the study, they lose contact with them. And that means they don't know if the woman had a complete abortion. They don't know if she ended up going to the emergency room. They don't know uh, what the outcome was at all, because the women are lost to follow up. So if you think about that, that this is done in a Study and these are supposed to be stringent, and they have protocols and people following up with patients. Um, What will happen when you present this drug nationally to women who are no longer required to visit the doctor two or three times? Uh, No one's keeping track, and no one will know if a woman ends up in the emergency room because of this, um, because of the use of this drug. And so, the potential for women to be greatly harmed by this drug just increases every time there's a loosening of the regulations.
0: And uh, nowadays, what, what is the latest uh, percentage of overall abortions, um, not, not including miscarriages because that's a natural event, Right. Uh, um, what percentage is now a chemical abortion versus a surgical abortion?
1: It, it, it is about fifty percent. Um, the numbers are somewhere around forty-five percent, uh, forty-five to fifty percent of what, all abortions.
0: What year is that you're talking about? What? This
1: is these are the most recent numbers. Um, these are numbers that came out in the last um, report. Um, Guttmacher, the Alan Guttmacher Institute, does. Uh, very extensive reporting. And it's because they, unlike the CDC, they aggressively go after those numbers from abortion facilities. And so we know that those numbers are pretty accurate. Um, There is still a possibility that there are some abortion facilities not reporting.
0: I was thinking it was closer to 60% nowadays, but usually they have a year associated with it, like two thousand.
1: When I'm saying 50%, that's the majority that we're talking about abortions that take place before 10 weeks or or less when the FDA has approved the use of the drug. But like I said, we're seeing some evidence that the drug is being used beyond what the FDA has approved. So for abortions that are 10 weeks or less, uh, which is what the FDA's approved protocol is, um, it's 50% of all abortions. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that number is climbing.
0: And uh, now, we may have just touched on this one, uh, Mifeprex or Mifepristone has an excellent safety record. How, how about that for a myth?
1: That is a myth. Um, like I said, that uh, the, the drug is approved uh, for only two uses. And one is for Cushing's disease, and the other one is to cause the death of an unborn baby. And that is not what anyone would consider uh, a safe or effective use of a drug. Um, We're taking a healthy woman with a healthy baby, a healthy pregnancy, and giving her a drug that not only takes the life of her unborn child, but also has the potential to put her in the emergency room and cause serious complications for her. So we're talking about a drug that has a use to harm and not cure and not save a life.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how about uh, this myth that the pro-aborts push? They say, if the Food and Drug Administration approval for Mifiprex is disallowed, the availability and use of mifepristone and misoprostol for therapeutic purposes may be negatively affected.
1: It's not true. Um, and like I said, Mif- uh, Mifeprex is approved for Cushing's disease. Um, doctors already use drugs for what they refer to as off-label prescribing. And Mifeprex has been uh, used in other ways. They're trying to find other uses for it. Um, it is an anti uh, glucocortiso- cortis- cortis- d- uh drug. It's uh, one that has a direct um adversarial relationship to cortisol. And that's why it works with Cushing's disease. Um, But with use of MiFAPREX in Cushing's, um, the availability is still there. The FDA has approved it for its use. It's just that its primary use is as an abortifacient. Um, If the FDA removes its approval as an abortifacient, the drug would still be available. Um, Now, uh, misoprostol, the second drug, that is used has been around for years um the company that owns the or that developed it um, did not want it relabeled for use as an abortifacient uh, they've opposed its use for um, that it's they've opposed the relabeling of the drug for that use um, but that drug has been around for years and it has been used to treat Ulcers, um, and so we are not expecting the FDA to remove approval for Mysoprostol. Um, so both drugs would remain on the market, the market, but for different uses.
0: But wouldn't the the mifepristone be be uh, uh, people would come in and say, "Oh, well, I have the other I have the other disease." So basically, they would lie to get Mifaprex. Mifeprist-
1: it's possible but you have to for cushing's you have to have a diagnosis um the other thing that would be impacted uh there is a distributor in the u.s that their sole function or the sole function of that company is to distribute the drug for use as an abortifacient and so once you start cutting back that supply chain the manufacturer doesn't need to make as many pills uh, the distributor uh, Legally, what are they going to be distributing if their sole purpose is to distribute the drug as an abortive patient? So you start looking at where um, the drug is coming from, what its use is, where it's being stockpiled. Um, There are some states, uh, Washington State is one of them, where they have announced that they are going to stockpile the drug um, for fear that the FDA will remove approval. And so they're already stockpiling the drug. So we're seeing that there are some very... Uh, Pro-abortion states.
0: Massachusetts, uh, too. They're stockpiling. Yeah.
1: Massachusetts is one. uh, They are planning on stockpiling the drug um, because the state is so vehemently supportive of abortion, unlimited abortion. um, But at the same time, uh, the concern is the supply chain. And so if the FDA were to change the protocols or restrict the approval, um, that would affect the supply chain.
0: I see. Now, myth seven, I have here. Pro-lifers are challenging the FDA's legitimate authority and expertise because they're supposed to be in the business of helping, curing people, not killing people. What what do you make of the myth that the other side is uh, uh, that the pro-life side is challenging the FDA for what they have done in hurrying this mifepristone to the market, and then? Uh, what they're doing today?
1: Well, the FDA, um, we all know of drugs that the FDA has approved and then later um, announced that they were pulling back the approval. The drug was no longer going to be available on the market because subsequent studies have shown that it actually causes uh, harm that goes beyond what the FDA finds acceptable. And so there are quite a number. There's a whole list of drugs, um, hundreds of drugs that have been pulled from the market over the years because the cost um, to human life is too great for any benefits that might be seen with the use of the drug. And so the FDA has removed approval. So the FDA is not infallible. And we all know this. And we've all known of drugs that have been pulled from the market. We know of drugs that the FDA has signed off on. And later announced that they were going to uh, change the approval and that it was no longer going to be on the market. Um, there have been announcements recently uh, criticizing drug approval process for various drugs. In fact, there was an article uh, not long ago about a uh, procedure that the FDA approved that's used um, for cosmetic purposes, um, coal sculpting, and the New York Times was very, very critical. Uh, the process and the FDA the FDA approval process, the number of women that are hurt, and um, it is less than one percent of women who have a negative reaction to the process. And here we are talking about a drug that can put a healthy woman in the hospital, kills her unborn child, and has the potential to harm. Somewhere between five and ten percent of women can end up in the emergency room. Far exceeds. Uh, what the New York Times uh, found with the use of this other, with this cosmetic process. And yet the criticism is leveled against the pro-life movement for criticizing an approval process for a drug that neither saves lives or cures a disease.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there are other myths that uh, I haven't uh, discussed or you haven't uh, discussed uh, on this?
1: Well. I think that um, some of the things that we're also hearing uh, with regard to mifepristone and misoprostol and just the abortion industry in general, um, after the Dobbs ruling, uh, we've seen the alarmist, um, you know, concerns from the pro-abortion movement that women can't be treated for miscarriages, and that's entirely false and if women are not receiving treatment, that is on hospitals and doctors who are misinterpreting the law and misinterpreting what happened with Dobbs and misinterpreting the pro-life laws that are being passed in states like Texas. Um, There are still women who are getting abortions at six weeks or earlier, In fact, we know that there are quite a number of abortions that are taking place um, at six weeks. Um, About um, Of the abortions that are taking place with nifepristone, about 45% of them uh, take place before six weeks. um, Excuse me, I'm saying nifepristone, but 45% of all abortions that take place in the first trimester occur uh, approximately before six weeks. And so we're still seeing a large number of babies dying Uh, very early in the pregnancy, but these bills are having an impact, and they are saving lives. But it is misinformation. It is scary misinformation. that The other side is uh, fear-mongering and engaging in telling women that they can't get treated for um, serious complications. They can't get treated for miscarriages. Uh, And it's it's false. It's all false. Mm
0: -hmm. I did a show with Donna Harrington, uh, Dr. Donna Harrington, and then I did a show with Chris Smith uh, regarding how the uh, abortion pill, um, RU486, got approved by Congress. And it was all fast-tracked from the very beginning of the Clinton administration. And they completed the whole thing by the eighth year at the end of the Clinton administration. And yet we hear the, the pro board say, oh, well, it's been around for 22 or 23 years. So therefore it's okay. What do you make of that uh, particular myth?
1: Well, like I said, we've seen uh, many drugs hit the market and the FDA has approved them and then years later, uh, they've discovered that there's something wrong, that they're not as effective as they thought, and that there can be great harm with the use of the drug, and they've pulled the drug from the market. Uh, this happens every year, where hundreds of drugs can end up being pulled off the market. I'm saying hundreds. I think last year, it was about 180 drugs were pulled from the market, oh. um, and so it does happen, where the, either the drug is not seen to be as effective as the FDA Uh, was um, told um, and the studies come back and show that it's not as effective as first thought or it actually can cause harm to a patient. Um, The FDA places what they refer to as black box warnings on these drugs because they have some kind of serious debilitative or life-threatening effect. Um, In fact, there's a drug that I have a family member who was taking and it was Deemed safe, um, she takes it for her asthma, and just recently the FDA came back and they discovered that the drug can cause suicidal ideation, and they put a black box warning on the drug. And it's a drug that you know millions of people take for their asthma, and yet here it is, years after this drug was approved. the fda discovered that it can actually cause suicidal thoughts and they had to put a black box warning on it so these things happen all the time it's not unusual for a drug to go through the approval process but when it is fast tracked these things can be missed and so the drug may have been on the market for 20 some odd years but it doesn't mean it's safe
0: Uh, just we have a a minute left or so and i'd like to ask you about uh, there's a movement on capitol hill uh, in Washington, D.C., to pass a law that says um, uh, that we won't abort anybody after 15 weeks. And I know mm-hmm. National Right to Life, at one point before Dobbs, before Dobbs happened, they were using 20 weeks, and mm-hmm. now the National Right to Life says, no, the 15 weeks is a terrible idea. Can you explain that just briefly?
1: Um, Well, before Dobbs, you know, our our goal was to try to get something before the Supreme Court that would make the Supreme Court rethink uh, abortions prior to viability. Uh, We were successful with the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act the Supreme Court came back and said that that was constitutional. And partial birth abortions occur in the fourth and fifth month of pregnancy, primarily. And that would be before and after viability. So the challenge to the court would have been, have a look at what happens before viability. And so the goal before Dobbs was to chip away at the Supreme Court's um, Mm -hmm. decision-making process and make them really rethink abortions before viability. Now that we have dogs, the goal is to save lives and to save as many as we can. And so uh, we no longer necessarily want to chip away at The later stages of pregnancy, we want to go earlier. And so we are, our our, uh, affiliates are looking at trying to pass laws um, as early as they can uh, to see their state legislatures look at protecting as many lives as possible. And so we are certainly um, grateful for the work of our legislators, and we're very hopeful we can move forward saving uh, as many lives as
0: well, we can. Well, Laura Echevia, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I know that you're welcome. if it were the 15 week, it would be 95% of all abortions happen by the 15th week. So, yes, folks, we hope you found today's show to be unique, informative, content rich, truthful and thought provoking. Thanks for watching. I'm Brendan O'Connell, your friend for life.
1: The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention LP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.